It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is episode five in the Muscular Christian series. Just love my title, Intrepid. And I remember I first stumbled across this word when I was studying early American history, and it was talking about the soldiers, of the, the colonial soldiers, as they stood uh, waiting as the British were advancing, and they, they were described as intrepid soldiers. And I was like intrigued. It's like, what does that mean? And so who knows, maybe you're a little intrigued uh, as well to sort of figure out what this word is that Eric's so excited about. So let me give you the uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary definition of intrepid. It's an adjective, meaning literally not trembling or shaking with fear, hence fearless, bold, brave, undaunted as an intrepid soldier. So I don't know uh, how you respond to a description like that. You could say, well, that's impossible. Obviously, no one is intrepid in the midst of uh, life's crises and life's disasters. But there could be some of you that are like me that say, is it possible? Because if it was possible to be fearless, if it was possible to not tremble or shake with fear in a time of trial, difficulty, I would want that quality. And of course, I don't know if you know Eric Ludi and you know where I like to take my messages. First of all, I'm a firm believer in what the Word of God says on the matter. And God over and over and over again is basically going to commission us and command us to live as intrepid soldiers. And so what I reason is that if he's going to give us such a commission, he's also going to supply us with the necessary tools to accomplish that. He's not playing games with us. He genuinely desires to shape us, to conform us into his image. And this is who he is. And so I want to understand more of this, as I'm guessing many of you do as well. So a different way of describing intrepid would be unshakable. But even another way of describing it, I underneath this on the screen, if you see in the video, it says AKA, or also known as patience. Now, when you hear the word patience, I have a hunch you're not thinking intrepidity, uh, unshakableness. It is something that usually we have a very kiddish, diminutive idea of. It's sort of like standing in front of the microwave waiting for your popcorn and not yelling at the microwave. That would be patience. If you can just restrain yourself from yelling at the microwave, you are demonstrating patience. But what if you were to expand your understanding of what biblical patience is, which is actually a fruit of the Spirit too, that God is desiring to work something in us when he overtakes our life with his Holy Spirit, which would make you unshakable. How about this? Fearless. How about this? Intrepid. You see, just to have the vision actually is where a lot of this starts for us as believers. We oftentimes don't wait at a bus stop if we don't know and believe that a bus is going to come. The same is true with going after the cultivation of certain qualities, going after certain grace points in our life. If we don't know that something is possible or that God designed us to actually function in a certain way, then we don't pursue it. We don't allow correction in that zone of our life which is why I'm giving this message. I think you should allow correction in this zone of your life. If you're trembling like a leaf, if you're anxious, if you're fretting, if you're foreboding about your future, when you face difficulty, you just fall to pieces and begin to uh, quake. 
what if God wanted to change that? Would you allow him to do that? Because that's precisely what I have gone through. I'd say the last 20 years of my life is a tutorial from the Holy Spirit on what this means. It does not mean I'm not still susceptible to tremble, but my life has been totally transformed. When I was 28 years old, I was in the hospital with a stress disorder. I had an anxiety problem. And when difficulty would come, I would begin to complain. I would begin to fall to pieces, really. I would go into a paralysis mode. And it was very uh, unhelpful to my ministry uh, career. And God had to touch that issue to get me ultimately into the hospital where someone was telling me, it's like, I don't know what you're doing, young man, but you're showing signs of stress that like a 65-year-old business executive would have. What do you do for a living? How awkward it is to say, yeah, I, I travel around and share about Jesus. In other words, I wasn't showing Jesus in my behavior. Something was off, but I didn't know it was possible to not have that, which is why this whole study is so critical at the core of my existence, the core of my leadership, the core of my marriage and family. Everything I am is based on this is one of the key foundation stones. So I'm calling this the amazing manly recipe for patience. And that's tensile strength plus resilience equals patience. So let's sort of break that down. Tensile strength. Now, when I say that, and since we're approaching Christmas time, uh, we have a tendency to think of tinsel. Tensil and tinsel are two very different things. Tensil is like a measurement of rope and of uh, springs on a trampoline. You measure the ability for that rope, how much weight it can handle for how long before it snaps. And that's its tensile rating or its tensile strength. And our souls are very similar. In other words, if you're going to be developing and cultivating patience, what God wants to do is he wants to build your soul in such a way where you can carry weights and for a long period of time without snapping. He wants to increase your tensile where it is you know, unbreakable. And so this is what the definition is, at least on my screen. How much stress, difficulty, and hardship the human soul can handle before giving way and breaking. Now, if you add to that resilience, you have the perfect recipe for what the Bible is going to describe as patience. Now, what is resilience? When I think of resilience, I think of my Stretch Armstrong, uh, I don't know if you call him a doll, but when I was young, they had this, this character named Stretch Armstrong, and he was filled with some kind of gel. And my brother could grab one arm, I could grab his other arm, and we could both walk across the room in the opposite direction, and Stretch Armstrong would stretch. And then we could let go of those arms, and Stretch Armstrong's arms would come back into proper shape. That's a pretty good definition of resilience. In other words, you can go through extreme trial, but return to proper form. In our spiritual lives, oftentimes we will be hit by a difficulty or stretched across the room and remain stretched across the room for the next couple of weeks. We easily fall out of the proper form. But when you actually combine tensile strength, along with this quality known as resilience, the ability to return to form and keep going in your Christian journey without falling to pieces for a good day or two along the way, that is what makes up this recipe for what we know biblically as patience. So here's my definition of resilience, just to help us along. How long the human soul takes to return to its former size and shape after enduring acute stress, difficulty, and hardship. God desires us to be able to be hit 
with a trial to be able to have an acute trauma that comes against our life and for us to immediately apply truth to it, to be able to see straight and to know the promises of God and to be able to respond to it in faith. And this is spiritual resilience. So patience. In the Greek, the word is hupomeno. And I like to describe it this way. It's the calm and courage of the Christian soul. So when you're in the midst of a battle, it's a strange thing to see a calm soldier when bullets are whizzing by, when uh, artillery shells are going off. To be calm seems the exact opposite of what you should be as a human. You should be panicky. And courage, courage in the midst of difficulty, courage in its basic definition is responding to difficulty and danger, sort of like with a smile, with a confidence. You see, the lack of courage is that when the difficulty comes in, you melt before it. So when you take that calm and that courage and you have them together as one, you have something known as hupomeno or patience. And again, I want to remind you, this is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When God moves into these bodies, this is one of the evidences that he wants to show that we belong to him. In other words, when the bullets are flying in our life, we should demonstrate a calm and a courage in the midst of the darkest moments where the world around us could be panicky, and yet they look at us and like, what's wrong with you? We're like, well, nothing's actually wrong with me. I just have total confidence that my God is in control. So here's my definition for patience. To remain unmoved, to not recede or flee to stand fast amidst the most severe misfortunes and trials, and to hold fast one's faith in Christ to the end, to endure and bear ill treatments bravely and calmly. So how do we get patience? I think that's a huge question for many of us. First of all, for some of you, you're just sort of getting smacked upside the face with this message going, is that even real? Is that possible? Uh, it is. This is the Christian life we are talking about. Don't measure the Christian life based on the modern Christianity around us, which excuses anxiety, excuses fears if it's totally normal, it's just a personality thing. Yeah, anyone going through these trials would have that same meltdown. That actually isn't the way a Christian is supposed to reason. You see, yes, in the natural side of our life, yes, that's normal and natural. But we are not called to be normal and natural. We're called to be supernormal and supernatural. And you could say, well, how in the world am I supposed to do that? I'm a natural man or a natural woman. And you would be correct. However, you're supposed to be, as a believer, a natural man or a natural woman that is overcome by the power of God. And now you've become the house of the living God. And the living God, who is very uh, much different than we are, who is supernatural in his function and supernormal in his function, is going to live inside of us and make our fingers, our hands, his hands and fingers. It's going to make our eyes see what he would see, our mind to think what he would think, our mouth to speak what he would speak, our heart to beat with his burdens, our feet to go where he would take us. We're called the body of Christ. It's supposed to be an animation of the life of God that we are showcasing. That's not normal and natural. That's supernormal and supernatural. So how do we get patience? Well, there's multiple ways I could answer that because technically patience doesn't really just come from our work. Like, oh, I'm going to work for 10 hours today and I'm going to come home with a paycheck called patience. We get it from God and yet we get it by agreeing with God and walking in the direction of God. So in a sense, you could call it like a paycheck. You do receive it after walking in agreement 
with the laboring of God in your life. But it is a spiritual impartation. It's not something that is gained in this natural sense. So I could train in the gym all day long for 10 hours, but I don't get patience. I might get physical muscle, but I don't get patience. Patience is a soul-level quality and strength. And it is something that is gained by agreeing with God through faith, obeying God through faith, rejoicing alongside of God in the midst of a trial. And as a result, this forms within you. So God gives us a pattern for how it's cultivated in our lives. So listen to Romans 5.3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. In other words, tribulation is what builds patience in our soul. And I don't know how many of you get excited about that because some of you are like, I'm really excited about this patience. Yeah, Eric is doing a podcast on patience. You should come listen to this. You know, because this is exactly what we need as a family. And then you get to that line. You're like, okay, maybe we don't want this as a family. How do you get patience? Well, according to Paul in Romans 5.3, tribulation is what builds patience in our life. I know. I can understand why you might be a little hesitant to get excited now about patience. But what is tribulation? First of all, we have a very negative conception of tribulation, partly because of the nonsensical movies that have come along through the 70s and 80s that portrayed the end times as some scary thing that we were going to be screaming at the top of our lungs. I'm not going to say it's easy. I mean, if you're going through any kind of tribulation, I'm not going to say that's pleasant. However, it's a good thing. And any farmer throughout the ages knows that tribulation is actually what your crop needs to be able to be brought to market. So it's, it comes from the word tribular, which is a threshing instrument. So the way you separate, for instance, chaff from wheat is through a threshing process. The way husks are removed from like corn and things is through a threshing process. And so right now that's done, you know, in the modern day through a combine. And so a combine is taking in and, and, and bringing in that harvest. And at the same time, it's, it's threshing those, uh, those products. We need that in our own soul. And that's what is going to work this strength. And so when we face a difficulty, when we face something that is removing chaff from our life, we actually are growing stronger through it. So therefore we look at the tribulation, not as an evil, but as a good process in our life. Sometimes that evil that is coming or that difficulty that's coming against us is sponsored by the enemy. However, in our perspective as believers, it's turning to good for us and it is working even a greater patience, even a greater calm, even a greater courage within our soul, even a greater unflappability. Listen to James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Uh, I mean, not many of us like to consider it joy when we fall into trials, but why? Listen to what James says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So here you are, you're wanting to know how to get this hoopameno. You're wanting to know how to cultivate that tensile strength and resilience, that patience quality. You want this, so do I. Well, the reason you consider it pure joy, true joy, full joy, when you face various trials is because you know that as that faith of yours is being tested, as you are going through that difficulty and responding with faith and confidence in the word of God, that is growing this thing, producing this thing called patience. So therefore, you consider it joy when you face that trial because of the results of it. You recognize that you're getting more of God in and through that difficulty. So then James continues and says, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We really desire as believers patience. 
And as a result, we learn to embrace our trials. We learn to embrace the difficulties, all of them, because every single one of them is working to construct us for any challenge we could face. The calm and courage of the Christian, built to do hard things as if they weren't really hard. I want you to think about this. What is a believer built for? Now, we could have all sorts of answers to that. To reveal Jesus would be a great answer, right? But listen to this. Imagine that you understood that you are being built by all these trials, all these difficulties in your life. You are being built to do hard things with your life. And the Christian life is a hard thing. It is. It goes against the grain. It goes against the system. It stands for something that the world has rejected, right? Shines light in the midst of darkness. Darkness doesn't always appreciate that. But we're built to do hard things as if they weren't really hard. Just ponder that for a second. You see, I live in Colorado. We, we ski in Colorado. When you first go on the slopes in Colorado and you get on a bunny hill and you get on skis, if you've never been on skis, they're slippery. And you could immediately fall down. It doesn't matter if you're just standing on flat ground. You could fall down. But you go on a little bunny hill. Say it's a couple feet off the ground and you just go down. You could fall over doing that. And it's rather scary because you feel like you don't have control. And I would say that's the way many of us are with our trials. When we first face small trials in our life, we don't have the ability to stand. We don't have the physiology in, in our body to balance on those skis, on those difficulties. But then as you progress and you start going down greens, greens are the easiest slopes. They're really challenging when you first go on them. But then when you transfer to blue, you go back to greens or to the bunny hill and you almost want to laugh out loud. It's like, this is ridiculously easy. You see, what God wants to do in our life is graduate us up to be able to stand on difficulty and actually not be intimidated by it. Yes, people that are new to difficulty, people that have tried to shy away from difficulty and trials their entire life, they're going to be falling over on bunny hills for the rest of their life. But when you finally start to embrace it, it's like getting on skis and saying, okay, I want to be a great skier. Pretty soon, you're doing not just blacks, but double black diamonds. Skiing down cliff faces, you're jumping out of uh, helicopters onto steep doubled black diamonds. In other words, you're built for this, O oh Christian. You are designed to tackle difficulty with a smirk and to make it look a lot easier than it is. So when you see a great skier going down a double black diamond, you'd say they don't look like they're struggling very much. And that's the way it should be for us as believers. We should be able to demonstrate to this world that our God is greater than these difficulties and we believe him. And as a result, he carries us through these things with a grace and with a smile. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 20 through 21. When you do well and suffer for it and you take it patiently, isn't that an interesting description? When you do well and suffer for it and you take it patiently, in other words, you're receiving it with that bravery and that courage of soul, that calm of soul. It's like, no, God's in control. This is acceptable with God. In other words, to respond to difficulty with this patience that is being cultivated within you is acceptable to God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. God has set forth an example in Jesus Christ for us of how to handle difficulty and even to be the good guy, yet to suffer nonetheless. You as believers are called to be the good guy in this culture, but that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. And when you take that suffering the way God designed you to take it and you accept it with patience, with calm, with confidence, with unflappability, where you're not... Uh, altered by it, but you have tensile strength and resilience and you maintain your form in the midst of it, even that smile on your face, 
This is acceptable to God because he designed you for this. He designed you to reveal his life in and through these challenges. So this is a throwback to some of the previous ones I gave, just sort of a reminder of what train we're following. Who, who, who are we following? What's the lineage of the Christian? Stephen was stoned. Philip was crucified. Matthew was slain with the sword. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned and clubbed. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Mark was dragged to pieces. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hung. Peter was crucified and John was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and removed unscathed and then exiled to Patmos. Yep, that's our heritage, guys. And you know how it's described in Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's described that these men had, get this, patience. In fact, patience is almost exclusively used to describe the martyrs throughout history. It is the quality of someone who can face the most intense difficulty in their life and be calm and confident in it. To be bold and courageous in the moment of dire need. You and I have been supplied everything we need for this. The question is, how are you handling your trials? If you're mumbling and grumbling and complaining about your trials and your difficulties, you're not building patience. But when you count it all joy, when you learn to rejoice and go upward instead of downward with depression and, and, and discouragement, you go upward. God strengthens you through these difficulties. So, Let's go through a little uh, quick tour of some great moments in early Christian history. Upside down, please. That's what I put on the screen. Uh, it's the death of the Apostle Peter. Now, these are all chronicled in various martyrs uh, books throughout the ages, Martyr's Mirror or Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, but just great stories. And so this comes from Fox's Book of Martyrs. The martyrdom of Peter is a subheading for it. Jerome saith that he was crucified, speaking of Peter, his head being down and his feet upward, himself so requiring, because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. So get this, guys. Peter, when he was facing death, remember, this is the same guy that denied Christ, uh, in, you know, remember in the courtyard before uh, the cock crowed? So this is a man who had failed in the past. Why? Because he needed the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He needed something inside of him to live this out. Now, at the end of his life, he is being threatened with crucifixion. However, he pleads to not be crucified as his Lord was because he's unworthy to be crucified as, his, as, as Christ was. So he experiences a more painful death at his own beckoning. Why? To honor his Lord. How many of us choose a harder suffering to honor our Lord. I mean, what is this? This is the heritage from which you and I come. This is patience. This is something very, very special that should leap off of the pages of history and get into our soul, into our life, into our thinking. So here's another uh, story. I will not be silenced. I call this the death of the apostle Andrew. So Andrew was crucified too. This is the brother of Peter but on two pieces of wood that were shaped like an X. So oftentimes that's been the symbol of Andrew throughout history. And uh, so Andrew hung there for, I don't remember how many days it was, but first of all, let me give a little backstory to the story of Andrew because I think it's just worth it. He was sitting in front of the governor. Uh, I don't remember the governor's name. I want to say Agus, but I'm not positive what it was. And that governor threatened him and said, you know, you need to stop preaching about this Jesus and this cross. And if you don't stop preaching about this Jesus and this cross, I'm going to crucify you on a cross too. 
And Andrew said something like this. Okay, this may not be the exact quote, but it's very close. I would dared not have preached the glory of the cross of Christ if I was not first willing to die upon one. And so the governor was furious and took him out and hung him on a cross. And he hung there for like three days. The whole while he shared Jesus, he preached Jesus. And then the saints didn't want to lose Andrew. He'd already paid his time. And this is an unusually long amount of time to hang on a cross. So they go in and plead with the governor to take him down. And when Andrew hears that the saints are trying to get him to come down from the cross, he cries out to heaven. And he says, Lord, I've spent my time among men. I just want to go home to be with you. Please take me. And that's how he died. And I'm thinking, all right, yeah, that, that's the way I want to die. I want to go out preaching Jesus and then not wanting an easier life. I don't want to come down from the cross. I want the cross to work its full work in me. What a story. So let's see. I feel like I'm going backwards in my notes. Okay, the next story. Audacious Ignatius. A little rhyming going on there. Ignatius, sort of a, a quote that I've always attributed to him is, the lions are my friends. Now, where does that come from? Ignatius was discipled by John, the apostle. And Ignatius was told he was going to be fed to the lions in the morning. And where most of us might freak out, that would be a rather scary thought to be munched on by lions, he got excited. Who gets excited about being told they're going to be fed to lions? And he called the lions his friends because they were the ones that are going to bring him home to be with the one he loved. What? So listen to this quote from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Having come to Smyrna, he wrote, speaking of Ignatius, to the church at Rome, exhorting them not to use means for his deliverance from martyrdom, lest they should deprive him of that which he longed and hoped for. Now I, this is a quote from Ignatius. Now I begin to be a disciple. I care for nothing of visible or invisible things so that I may but win Christ. Let fire in the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let breaking of bones and tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Christ Jesus. And even when he was sentenced to be thrown to the beasts, such is the burning desire, such, I think it's supposed to be, such was the burning desire that he had to suffer, that he spake, what time he heard the lions roaring, saying, I am the wheat of Christ. I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts that I may be found purebred. Whew. That's a form of Christianity that we're not very familiar with. And yet this is the real thing. And I want that. And I think you do too. There is a draw that I have towards that historic strength and that muscularity of soul. So we're going to finish with this. Germanicus. I have this as a subtitle, Sprinting Towards the Beasts. Now, this could be legendary. It's one of the problems when you're dealing with stories from uh, well over a thousand years ago. But the, as legend would have it, when Germanicus entered the arena to be fed to the beasts, that he didn't just kneel down and pray and you know look up heavenward and maybe sing a song, because that is a pretty cool story that a lot of them did. Some of them came in singing. Germanicus did something very different than anyone I've ever heard. He sprinted towards the beasts. Whoa, why would someone do that? First of all, he was unafraid of them. Second of all, they were the vehicle that were going to take him home to be with Jesus. And more than anything in his life, he desired to be with Jesus. That's the sort of reasoning, that's the sort of priority system that I would like us to cultivate too. Father, 
I ask that you would do that, that you would cultivate in your church, in our lives, this patience, this tensile strength plus resilience, this calm confidence, courage in the midst of the darkest hour. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do this mighty work of grace in us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.